Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Our text this morning is found in First Peter chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five. This will be page ten fifteen, one thousand fifteen. In your pew Bible. Again, we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Let us hear the word of the Lord, our God. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered... He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we are amazed at your grace to us in Christ. We, Lord, don't, we're not amazed as we should be. We're not as stunned, Lord, as we should be. We're not drawn to you as we should be. And so we pray, Lord, reveal your glory and your beauty to us even this morning. And, Lord, take this word and use it in our lives to bring us the comfort of Christ. Bring us to trust you, to give our lives up to you, because we see you all the more clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. This is uh, actually the second time we've dealt with this passage, and uh, I just want to at least mention what we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, because as you see, this context has to do with servants suffering unjustly and his encouragement to them in that situation. Finally, ending with this encouragement, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Not only did Christ not commit sin by retaliation, 
but showed forth love and showed forth his trust in his father, even when he was so horribly treated, the whole suffering was because he bore our sins in his body on the cross. This week, though, and you'd, I'll refer you to that, that sermon if you want to explore that uh, more uh, completely. But this week, uh, we're talking about how this wounded one heals us. One of the most striking phrases in Scripture, by his wounds you have been healed, borrowed from Isaiah 53, by his wounds you are healed. Now, the first thing I want to do is to talk about the root of this. How does this work? How do his wounds heal us? Such an unusual phrase. And then we want to see the fruit of that. In these two phrases, he, he describes what it means that his wounds heal us. We die to sin and live to righteousness. That's one thing that happens in our life. And then secondly, he says, you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So first of all, we want to ask, what does this mean? How does it work that his wounds bring about healing in our lives. What kind of healing? And then what results from that is that we die to sin, live to righteousness, and we return to the shepherd and overseer of ourselves. What's interesting about this passage is that his final purpose in dying, in a sense, not, is not forgiveness. It's what comes as a result of that forgiveness. It's healing that he is finally after in our lives. And this is an encouragement that he is after healing. Imagine a man who learned that thousands of of natives in South America were dying of a plague. And if they could get this medicine that they need, they could be healed and rescued. Otherwise, whole villages are going to be destroyed. But the only way to get there is a trek through the jungle And despite all precautions, this man is uh, bitten, he is gored, he is infected with disease, and finally his weakened body is literally brought into the village. He is racked and dying because of the journey to even get to that village. And he stays alive just long enough to get to teach them how to administer the medicines before he dies. Now, the whole purpose, you see, of receiving these wounds and enduring sickness and the possibility of death was what? To see them finally healed. And you and I have got to bear in mind, that's what Christ is after in your life. In fact, the old Puritan, Leighton, says this. From this passage, we see that transformation is the final end result of forgiveness as though it it's raised above the other that he forgives and restores us to God so that we can be transformed by his grace he says he eyed he says he looked at and intended in taking away the guiltiness of sin that we might be renewed So he doesn't say here, of course, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. You'd expect him to say so that we might be forgiven. No, 
so that there might be transformation in our lives. We are healed through His wounds. And so, He's restoring His image in us. It's the same thing as Ephesians 5. It says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And there again, it doesn't say, so that she might be forgiven. Although, of course, that's understood. But there's an end in view. Paul says, so that he might make her holy. So that he might present the church in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in that last day. That's what he's after. Your transformation. He's restoring his image in us. He is giving us back our beauty that we lost when mankind sinned. And so sin is regarded here, as he says, by his wounds you've been healed. Sin is viewed as a sickness, as a disease that he heals us from. He uses the actual word for stripes, the results of lacerations on the back. This probably would apply particularly to these servants who themselves had lashes on their back. They themselves had stripes, many of them. And so this would particularly relate to them. The striking imagery, his terrible lacerations bring about healing. And it's only through his being hurt and wounded that we are made well. Through his being injured and broken, we are healed. And I quoted Theodoret last week or two weeks ago, a new and strange method of healing. The doctor suffered the cost and the sick received the healings. And of course, all the New Testament healings of Jesus are a constant array of pictures for us. This is what he means to do. This is what the kingdom is about, transforming us. And the analogy of physical healing is our spiritual healing. And we should expect that and look to him to do this in us. But how does it work? I want to ask this question. How do his wounds, how does his suffering move me and transform me? When, when God opens me to understand that suffering, what do I see? What, what changes me as a result of seeing the wounds and suffering of Jesus Christ? And here's what I'm talking about, the root of this. And we'll talk about the fruit of it, that we die to sin and, and we give ourselves to our new shepherd. How, what's the root of it? One thing, here are two aspects of it. He heals me of my pride And then he heals me of my unbelief. He heals me of my pride and he heals me of my unbelief as I view his sufferings, his wounds. First of all, he heals me of my pride and my self-righteousness. He heals me of my obnoxious and insane pride that I could earn God's favor by my own righteousness. Because when the sum total of any human being's life is put upon Christ and God views it on the cross, what's the result? Does God smile upon Christ or does Christ suffer as a result of the effect of our lives being put to his account? Think about it. If you were to stand before God and present your works alone, you can expect the same judgment that Jesus received when your works were put upon Jesus.
when he becomes associated with all that you and I have ever done, what happened to him? He was judged horribly. You see that you've got to realize, wait a minute, if even on his own son, he didn't spare his own son when he was associated with what our life is. What would be my hope to stand before God with what my life is? Because he was judged. The reality of our sin, the gravity of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the corruption of our sin is measured by what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross when he was associated with our sin. So it humbles us. It it removes. As we see this, our eyes are open to the, the judgment upon Christ is really our judgment. It's an assessment of us because Christ stood in our place. And it says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so the cross should heal us of any notion that we can approach this God on the basis of our own works, on the basis of my works and your works. Jesus was judged. On the basis of our so-called works, Jesus was judged. It reveals God's righteousness and holiness and wrath against sin. It heals me of the notion that God is casual about my sin. In fact, this same writer... Leighton says that God shows us, he shows his hatred against sin more in punishing his own son than if the whole race of mankind had suffered for it. That's where he really shows his hatred against sin. More than if he judged the whole of mankind was the fact that he judged even his own son when sin was placed upon him. And so it humbles us and it heals us of our pride by his wounds, you see. By viewing his wounds through the work of the Spirit, we see I have no hope of my own works. But by his wounds, he heals us also of our unbelief, our mistrust of God and our fear and suspicion of God. Our whole lives, apart from Christ, are spent finding things to depend on other than God. That's just what we do as human beings. In all of our difficulties and pain, we find various replacements for God, various means of coping with life apart from running to God and entrusting God with our lives. And we become very good at it. We become so good at it, we don't even recognize we do it. Our idols are everywhere and we don't even recognize them as idols. We just think we like this and don't like that. But it really expresses so many times what we trust in for life. And so apart from his grace, we don't submit to his will and we don't submit to his ways because we really don't believe he will make us happy. We really don't believe he will do us good. And that's why we refuse to put our lives into his hands. That's why Eve, Adam and Eve broke from him to begin with, because Satan convinced her he does not have your best interest at heart. He's keeping you from something here and you need to eat it so that you'll have life. 
And so his wounds heal us of our unbelief. His wounds convince us of his love and goodness to us. That he would give his own son for the sake of sinners. That he would give his own son for the very sake of those who had rebelled against him. Who is this God that loves his enemies? What kind of God doesn't make us serve him? He serves us by laying down his life for us. What kind of God is this that has this passion to give himself and to rescue us? And you know, it's one of my favorite verses. I have to bring it in at this point. After talking about Jesus' death and suffering, John says in John 4, So, as we've seen this suffering, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. You see, the wounds convince us. As God opens up our eyes, they convince us of the love of God. And they heal us of our alienation to God. They heal us of our refusal to entrust our lives into His care and keeping. And our healing means that now we trust Him to do us good from now on in every circumstance. In the worst circumstances, by His grace, we look to His wounds and say, the one who was wounded for me will do me good. I trust Him. See, those, those wounds heal us of our unbelief. His suffering convinces us of all of His promises to us. And in the precious words of that hymn, beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. A shadow in the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. I take, O cross, thy shadow from my abiding place. Another way of saying, I'm in the shadow of your wounds. Your wounds have convinced me. The cross itself expresses the love of God, sacrifice for me, and I hide myself in that shadow. That's my shelter. That's my comfort. That's my forgiveness. That's my change. That's God's commitment to do me good from now on. And so I believe what David said, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is even more now reinforced, isn't it? it in fact, the, the top is kind of blown out of that promise, <clears throat> certainly, because he, this shepherd, has actually come upon earth and died for me. And one of sin's method in our life is guilt. Guilt to drive us away from the presence of God, to drive us away from the promise of God. And another method of sin is tragedy and pain. For tragedy and pain to drive us away from the goodness of God and to drive us away from the promise of God and the fellowship with God. But by the wounds we see, He takes away my sin. By His wounds we see, no matter if things seem to be turned upside down, the one who is wounded for me, the hands that were pierced for me, that is the hand that guides my life. And so I continue to be healed of my suspicion and unbelief. And isn't it encouraging that if He showed His hatred of sin by punishing his own son for that sin, will he not remove that sin from our lives? How glorious. How glorious that he will do that. And you know, this, this really amazes me about God because you think, why should God 
in a sense, stoops so low to prove to us his love. We're the ones that abandon him. We abandon him and said, you do not love us. You do not care for us. We will not trust you. And you think, why did he just obliterate us? Why does he go to such lengths to convince us? To win us by dying for us. It's as though he opens his arms and we refuse to see his open arms. We doubt that his arms are open to us. We question them and walk away from them. But when he shines the light of truth on his son's sacrifice, then we're convinced of those open arms of forgiveness and care. We return and sin's hold is broken on us. Our healing has begun. We've returned to the shepherd and guardian of our soul. He convinces us of his love. And so, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you always associate his cross and suffering with every promise he gives you, every command he gives you. He died, therefore he will answer prayer. He died, therefore he will give you obedience. His death indicates the seriousness of his desire to bring good into your life. It indicates the zeal he has to bring good into your life. And to bring good into your life, of course, as he says here, is to bring us out of sin. And so, I would urge you to say, he is a refuge because he died for me. He is a strong tower. Why? He died for me. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Look, he died for me. You see, it's the convincing. That's why Paul says in Corinthians, he's the yes, he's the amen of every promise of God. He's the guarantee of every promise of God. He will make me more and more holy. He will make me more and more loving. He will make me more and more like himself. He died for me. You see, how will he not? He will turn me away from my particular complex of ugly sins. Why do you know that? He died for me. He will build his church. He died for us. He will bring us into unity and community. He died for us. In our worship together, he will make us weak, need and stunned at his breathtaking beauty. He died for us. He will make us the elders and deacons He intends. He died for us. He will make us the parents, the husbands and wives He intends. He died for us. He will make us a church leaning into mercy and kindness and good deeds. Leaning into wise, compassionate, servant evangelism. Why? He died for us. His wounds by His wounds. We are healed. You see, that's the root. That's the root. Being freed of my self-righteousness. Helplessly clinging to Him, but expectantly clinging to Him because He died. And just in a few minutes, to mention then the fruit of it that He gives here. He bore our sins in His body on the cross. He, his wounds are healed. In what way? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness so that we would return from straying and put ourselves under his care. Let's deal with that one first. You see, as we see his wounds, as we see 
what the wounds mean, that he bore our sins, we become convinced of the better deal that Christ will give us in life. We become convinced because sin's hold is broken. We doubt him no more. We ignore his love no more. We were under sin's gruesome spell that made us think that serving ourselves and serving sin would bring us happiness. We're so much like those sad people in Guyana that followed Jim Jones and drank the Kool-Aid and died. We're giving ourselves to our leader, sin, to one day die instead of entrusting ourselves to the one who made us, the one who is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So we were straying like sheep. Sheep, when they're off by themselves, of course, they even become paralyzed. They don't know where to go and they just sit and they are, are torn by animals or they fall off a cliff or they starve to death. And he says, there we were. There we were under the abuse, under the molestation of sin. And the cross is calculated to wake us up, to pierce through our darkness and to return to this shepherd who laid down his life. To put ourselves under his care. Like you would a physician that, that now we're going to follow his prescriptions. We're going to take all of his recommended treatments and medicines. We're going to submit to his healing power. Submit to worship and the word and prayer and growing interaction with one another. And how this would speak to these suffering servants saying, even now as you suffer, even now in such unjust pain, you are under the care of the shepherd who died for you. The overseer of your life. Even if you're receiving physical wounds due to your suffering, O oh servants, you are now under the care of your shepherd. No one else, no other power there is will care for you. No other power has given its life for you. And it is the, the very God who made you. And so, one result of being healed is that we no longer are under the horrible poison of sin. But we are now following the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And therefore, as he says, we die to sin and we live to righteousness. Here, he's basically picturing a death and a resurrection. Picture someone who <clears throat> was in a prison camp with all its, its cruelties, its starvation, its suffering. And he faints in that prison camp. And then when he finally opens his eyes, he's in a clean hospital with the most uh, tender care. He's under rehabilitation and he's under medicines and therapy and nourishment. And this is the picture uh, of dying to one way of life and now living to another way of life. A death to your old life, a resurrection to your new life of freedom and strength. As Paul himself says, we formerly walked in sin. We walked hand in hand with our lover. Sin was our best friend as our constant companion, the atmosphere in which we live. Our natural daydreams never concerned the glory of God. Our natural daydreams rarely concern the good of others and never the good of our enemies. Our daydreams. They were generally all about me. But now, He heals me that I might see sin for what it is, that I might hate it, that I might leave it, 
that I may turn from it and no way entertain it or encourage it or nourish it or provide for it or give it an entrance in order that I might not be attracted to it, in order that I might not see any worth or value in it, in order that I might not trust it for life and happiness, in order that I might be dead to its overtures and its offers, its enticements, so that sin's overtures might fall on deaf ears. That's what he's died to accomplish. And he will progressively in your life be setting you free from sin. Some women who've suffered years of abuse from their husbands, his alcoholism and his repeated adulteries may end up saying, whatever feelings and love I had for him are just gone. My love for him is dead. And this is what Christ died for, that you might be dead to your former husband. That you might recognize the abuse of sin in your life. The cruelty of being submitted to one who is opposed to God. The cruelty of you being cut off from the love and tenderness and forgiveness of God that sin would cause in your life. To realize how sin violated me and and, and defiled me and betrayed me and abandoned me. And of course, sin was my doing. He died that we would not join ourselves to this abuser any longer, but that we would die to it, walk away from it, refuse it, and give ourselves to our new husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. By his wounds, you have been healed. Let us pray. Lord, if there is anyone here who has not given his or her life into the hands of this glorious Christ, we pray that even now you would work in their heart. We pray, O Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. And even now that they would give up their own self-righteousness and pride, seeing your view of sin and your view of our supposedly good works that we have nothing to bring to you. Even as we sang, not anything that we do, Lord, it is only what Christ has done for us. And, O Lord, convince them then, not only of that, but especially that you are one to be trusted. This one who has wounded his own son, this one who was wounded for us, who bore our sins in His body on the cross, He is one to be trusted. He is one to be followed. He is one to fall down before and worship and adore. Lord, we pray that You would forgive all of us for our neglect of You. Forgive us all, Lord, that we have not more died to sin and lived to righteousness. May we have a new understanding of your commitment to bring that about in our lives. That there can and will be progress, regular, constant, true change and transformation in our lives. Lord, may we not ever quit this glorious warfare to rid ourselves of all that would be displeasing to you. Always under the precious acceptance that we have in Christ. O oh Lord, bless us to this end that we will manifest 
that we are being healed by the precious wounds of Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Won't you chase my fears away?